You are listening to the Daily Roundup here as part of the Reality Steve podcast. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. we got a good Friday show for you today. Susie Evans speaks out. She speaks to Us Weekly, tells them a few things. We've got more on the GMA scandal that I mentioned yesterday, a little bit about the Masked Singer, the 10-year anniversary of one of the most popular, yet one of those songs that you will hate yourself for once you listen to it because you can't get it out of your head the rest of the day. And then we've got uh, a little bit more on the college football playoff. We'll get to that momentarily. This podcast is brought to you by Dame Products. Don't forget, Dame's intuitive and introductory vibrator, The Dip. Whether it's your first vibrator or the toy that helps you rediscover what feels good for you, it's designed to be unintimidating and to encourage pleasure exploration without shame. Go to DameProducts.com, use code REALITYSTEVE to take 15% off your first order. That's DameProducts.com. Use promo code REALITYSTEVE, and that'll get you 15% off your first order. All right, let's begin. First off, I want to say today's podcast, the one that normally airs on Thursday, podcast number 315, is going to be a little bit different, something I've never done in 315 podcasts. And I think about it now, and I'm like, why haven't I done this before? Anyway, it basically came about because I could not get anybody to do, I couldn't find anybody to do the podcast. I reached out yesterday. It was very short notice. Because my original one, like I said, they were supposed to record Tuesday, they were supposed to record Wednesday, scheduling stuff, all this stuff got mixed up. So hopefully that will be next week. If not, we'll do it at some point, I believe. But not having time to get anybody to do the podcast yesterday, reached out to about four people and they were all incredibly busy or sick. Um, I decided to do a best of show. I've never done that in 300 and... 14 podcasts. So what I did was it's just over the last few podcasts that I've done. The three in particular that I took excerpts from are podcast uh, number 310 with Taylor Hale, the Big Brother winner from this year. Uh, Podcast number 312 with Allie Appleby, who is Miss Teen Dallas USA. And last week's podcast with Jacqueline for anybody that um, you know may have missed parts of it. So all I did was take snippets from those podcasts and put them in a kind of a best of compilation and try to keep it around uh, an hour total. So you'll hear snippets from those three podcasts. If you didn't listen to them, maybe when you hear these snippets of it, it'll pique your interest and you'll go back and listen, whatever the case may be decided, you know, that was uh, something I hadn't done. And I was like, okay, well, I can't get anybody to do it. I don't want to, I already do a daily roundup where you hear me talk for, you know, 20 minutes or so. There's no point to do something like that for podcast number 315 because there's just not a lot to talk about right now, especially in Bachelor Nation. So best of is coming in a couple hours. So look for that coming up around uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time, podcast uh, 315. So Susie Evans did a podcast with Us Weekly that uh, ran yesterday, the Here for the uh, Right Reasons podcast. And that's Us Weekly's podcast. And they obviously did a Recap of it, transcript of it, whatever you want to call it, on their website. Did not listen to it, but a lot of quotes uh, from Susie here, you know, talking about focusing on herself right now and, you know, doesn't seem to be on bad terms at all with Clayton. 
and she keeps getting asked, why did you guys break up? What did he do? What was, what was the thing that broke you guys up? And she was just like, there wasn't anything that broke us up, but she reiterated again. He's just, they just weren't compatible. Now she didn't go into detail about why they weren't compatible. She's just said numerous times that they weren't compatible. So we have to respect her answer. I'm sure that there's a reason. I'm sure if you know you spoke to both of them or one of them off record, they might say, yeah, and Susie is kind of this way and I'm and Clayton's kind of this way or and vice versa. Like nothing's wrong. Like something doesn't have to be wrong or what there has to be a main reason. She just realized they weren't compatible and that's why they are no longer together. They don't speak anymore. And that's probably a good thing. And, you know, sometimes it works for people. Sometimes it doesn't. It's a case-by-case basis. There's not a universal answer for how you carry on a relationship with an ex once you break up. It is different for everybody. That's the way they're going about it. So you can't fault them for that. She was asked, would she date within Bachelor Nation? She said she would really have to be interested in the person and would want to get to know them before ever going public with something like that. They asked her about would she ever do Paradise, and she said no, not really for her. Um, She's not really interested in going down to a beach and being tempted and all that stuff, so it doesn't sound like she's interested in that. She is you know, starting up a blog. She has started up a blog, and... Just so you know, what is it? What is the name of the blog? Sorry. The name of the blog is uh, SusieWasLike.com. S-U-S-I-E-W-A-S-L-I-K-E. SusieWasLike.com. She wrote on November 21st a whole article or a whole column in regards to her breakup with Clayton and the things that went behind it. A lot of what she said and repeated in the uh, podcast yesterday with us weekly, where it was just, it was a compatibility thing. They weren't compatible again, didn't go into detail about why they weren't compatible, but just left it at that. But Susie was like.com. You can check it out. I know that she's doing more stuff on that and you know, some possible interesting things uh, in the future uh, with her. So like I said, didn't listen to this podcast yesterday with us weekly, but a lot of quotes um, basically transcribed on their website yesterday in regards to what Susie said and basically kind of went over everything just now in terms of the Bachelor in Paradise thing. Would she date within Bachelor Nation? Um, there's nothing going on with Justin. They posted something you know, together, I think it was last week, and everybody assumed that they were dating, and it's she was just saying, no, it's just a collaboration. His uh, he was shooting for an ad and his videographer wasn't available. He contacted her. She's three hours away from him. So they met up and uh, she shot him because she wants to focus her career on like doing documentaries and stuff. And she does a lot of photography. Obviously, she does a lot of weddings. You've seen that numerous times on her Instagram page. So that's really all it was. And then they asked her what she's looking for in a partner. And it was you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but go listen to it if you're interested. If not, you can just read what she said uh, on usweekly.com yesterday. As for the story, big story from yesterday, the GMA scandal, Amy Roback and TJ Holmes spotted seeing each other, and they still haven't released any sort of statement mentioning the fact that they have left their spouses, but... 
every story that you read about it has said that behind closed doors, yes, both of them left their spouses in August and clearly they are seeing each other now, but none of them have actually addressed it. As we, or as I found out yesterday, Andrew Shu is Amy Roback's husband and he deleted all pictures of Amy off his Instagram yesterday. So pretty safe to say they are no longer together. And once he saw the pictures of her and TJ, yeah, let's just uh, dump her off of my Instagram. So she's off his Instagram. Amy and TJ were back to work yesterday. I did not see GMA, uh, but I saw the coverage of it. And, you know, they didn't address it. But it uh, it's, you know, they just kind of went about their show and did their thing and talked about other things and didn't even bring it up. So... <laughs> At some point, they're going to have to address this. It's just it's too big of a story, especially for two people that are on TV as much as they are and a part of people's lives that watch morning shows and stuff like that. But like I said yesterday, it's not like they're going to come out and say, oh, yeah, you caught us. We were cheating. No, they are both going to say that they left their spouses in August and they have developed a relationship with each other and they're going to pursue it. But again, it's kind of hard to believe that their relationship with each other didn't play a role in them wanting to leave their spouses, especially when they work together every day, most mornings for the last five years. So if you're the spouse, if you're Andrew Shue, or if you are TJ Holmes wife, you, you got to question it. You'd be naive to not. You can't say like, oh, no, nothing happened. And no, TJ and I's marriage and Amy and I's marriage, uh, it ended. And uh, they just decided to move on with their coworker of five years that they work with every day. Like, I mean, we can put two and two together. So, but have they addressed it? No, they have not. And who knows if they will or when they will. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was in and out this season on The Masked Singer. I watched some episodes, watched, and then didn't watch some. And I saw the finale. And the finale was on two nights ago. And in case you don't know, spoiler alert, the winner was Amber Riley uh, from Glee, uh, former dancer on Dancing with the Stars. And she was great. She was great in the finale. But the other one was, I can't even remember what their costumes or what they were called, but the three women singers, like I said, I was in and out on Mass Singer, probably more out 
this year than in. I'd probably only seen three episodes, and I don't even remember if I saw the episodes with the three women who ended up finishing second, and as you know, it ended up being Wilson Phillips. My question was, how many trio singing groups of of women are there out there to even... What were some of the guesses on them? How could you not guess anyone but Wilson Phillips? I mean, I, I watched that episode, the finale, and I'm like, that's totally... At least when I watched it back, I was like, that's totally Wilson Phillips. But I'm just curious of what the other judges were guessing all season, because even if you didn't, even if the Wilson Phillips voices threw you off and you didn't think it was them, it's three women. You know, it's not like they throw three solo artists together and they make you guess all three. It's they're going to put if they're putting a trio together, it's a trio that has sung together before numerous times. So I'm just wondering exactly who were they guessing in the earlier episodes? I don't I can't think of many women singing groups off the top of my head that are three women. Uh En Vogue Salt and Peppa's three women, but they're only one of them was the DJ, Spinderella was the DJ. So I don't even was En Vogue 3 you know, you want to say Destiny's Child, but you know that Beyonce is not going on the mass singer. So I, yeah, I'm sure there are other ones out there, but it's very few. And then you listen to the voices, and you're like, okay, it, it can't be anybody other than Wilson Phillips. But whatever. Here's something I bet you didn't know, and I didn't know it until I saw the article last week. There was a piece done in the New York Times. That was the 10-year anniversary of one of the all-time catchiest songs, and it just exploded onto the scenes in America. From Seoul, South Korea, our boy Psy with Gangnam Style. 10-year anniversary. So they did a follow-up. They interviewed him, asked him, how has your life been? And basically, it's kind of what you would expect. He he was a one-hit wonder. He was... Everywhere when that song took off 10 years ago in the United States. And ever since then, all he was doing was trying to find another hit. Trying to come up with another hit that was going to explode and you know he could become a pop star in the United States. And it just never happened for him. It just never took off. That song, Gentleman, I know him. I remember him performing it on American Idol. I remember him performing it on Dance with the Stars because it was Sean's season. I even talked about that with Sean. When he was on my podcast years ago, I said, you got to dance to Gentleman with Psy. How about that? <laughs> and um, of all the cool things he's gotten to do, I thought that was pretty cool. But Psy just never, it never took off after Gangnam Style for him. And so they, it, was, it was an interesting piece in the New York Times. You could Google it and look it up. Here was something that I found interesting about the piece. You know, I, I think I, I think I did, I think I covered this in a, in a um, daily roundup maybe a couple months ago where I was just happened to be looking at what are the most downloaded YouTube videos in the United States of all time. Gangnam Style is in the top 10. It is one of the most, it is like fifth or sixth most downloaded video or most watched video in the history of YouTube. That's crazy to me, but it is. That's how popular the song was and the video that kind of went along with it. That's why we're talking about YouTube here. And I didn't even know what Gangnam Style was. You know, the song is in Korean, so all we know is the chorus. I mean, you hear that song, it's not like you sing 
the lyrics, you sing the chorus. <laughs> and um, so Gangnam is an, an upscale area of Seoul, South Korea. It's like, I guess, Beverly Hills of Seoul. And so the video was kind of a takeoff on how he's not upscale and he's not Gangnam. So he's kind of making fun of them. And this was so interesting in the piece. And I had to copy and paste it because no way I would have paraphrased this or remembered it. They said that after after the video came out, people started dissecting, well, what is this all about? And it said, this was, the, this was what I cut and pasted from the article. It said, quote, there were deep think pieces and analyses on the various aspects of South Korea and Seoul it was said to be lampooning. The hypocrisy of the nouveau riche, the superficiality of its social standards, and the inequality exemplified by the opulent Gangnam neighborhood. End quote. <laughs> like people were really digging in and trying to dissect what this video was. And when Sai was asked about it, he's like, Man, I was just trying to make a video to make people laugh and do silly dances. And here are people just trying to think that I was trying to make some sort of social stance or post some sort of social message in my video. I was just trying to be silly and dance and have fun. <laughs> the hypocrisy of the novu reach rich. It's R I C H E. Is that reach? Rich? Hell if I know. It was just this <laughs> uh, the inequality exemplified by the opulent Gangnam neighborhood. He's like, yeah, I was just making a video and having fun and doing stupid dances. <laughs> but 10 years. Wow, that song came out 10 years ago. Now you can all blame me today when Gangnam Style is running through your head all day long. What the Gangnam Style? Gangnam Style. Whoop, 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 whoop. That's my singing for today. Um... Let's kind of end it with this more on the college football playoff yesterday. As I had mentioned, the Rose bowl has agreed to the television terms, basically what it comes down to not to get too deep in the weeds here for people that, you know, don't follow college football or whatever, but the Rose bowl has always been played on new year's day at a certain, in a certain time spot, which is usually, I think it's, um, now that I'm in Central, it's like, uh, what time does it go on out here? Uh, they always like to kick off like around 3 Pacific or 2.30 Pacific time. It's just always been that way. That's the way the Rose Bowl has always wanted it. But if you're going to go to a 12-team playoff and the Rose Bowl is going to be a part of that, they're going to have to give up that slot. And apparently that's been their sticking point for the last 18 months. Because remember, this 12-team playoff was posed to the committee 18 months ago, and it was shot down basically because the Rose Bowl didn't want to give up their spot. And now when they realize how much more money can be made with a 12-team playoff, they're like, okay. So we don't necessarily know for sure, but the current television contract with the Bulls ends in 2026. So in 2024 and 2025, when we have a 12-team playoff, it will be a specific way. But then when the TV networks renegotiate and start a new contract in 2026 – the 12-team playoff will be done a certain way then. We don't know have all the details. We have most of them, but the bottom line is the first four seeds are getting buys. So then the 
other eight teams, five will play 12, six will play 11, seven will play 10, and eight will play nine. Those That's how the seeds will go. And then those four winners will play the four teams that got buys, and that will usually be – it probably will be on their home field. That's what they're trying to decide. Are we going to have – well, definitely the first-round games, so 5-12, 6-11, 7 10, 8 9 are going to be played on the field of the lower-seeded team unless it's a uh, – apparently unless it's a uh, a weather issue, they might move it to a neutral location that has better weather. But then those four play the four – teams that got buys the four winners will play the four teams that got buys the top four seeds and at that point i think they're still deciding is that going to be played at a neutral site in terms of the bowl games like sugar orange fiesta rose all that stuff so all that stuff's going to get worked out but the biggest thing with college football and i know that if you are a college football fan you know that regional rivalries are huge the problem is, as much as you love your regional rivalries and your, you know, the Texas and Texas A&M went away years ago, but your know, Oklahoma-Texas matchups, um, you know, Michigan-Ohio State, I mean, that's not going anywhere. They're both staying in the Big Ten. But uh, Clemson-South Carolina, I, probably going away. But I'm telling you, it's going to be better for the game because the one thing that's always kind of held college football back is the fact that it's regional. you got to get national um rivalries because while it's great and people in Clemson and South Carolina, you know, that's a heated rivalry and you got the civil war up in Oregon, Oregon, Oregon state, no one outside no one outside of no one probably east of Nevada cares about the civil war in terms of Oregon, Oregon state and nobody west of the Mississippi River cares about Clemson, South Carolina. But in those particular regions, obviously, yeah, it's huge. But it's always held college football back. It just has. The reason why the NFL is so popular is because, yes, you have your regions, but it's a national sport. The Dallas Cowboys, in the 80s and 90s, their biggest rival was the Niners. And that's not regional. Nothing regional about Dallas and San Francisco. It's a three-and-a-half, four-hour flight to San Francisco from here. So... And then, you, can, you know, there's there's plenty of other ones where you do have your regional rivalries, yes. But now that you're going to see more national rivalries, because we all know that most teams in college football, outside of a few, in their non-conference schedule a bunch of patsies so they can get three or four wins. And, you know, you get the occasional, you know, obviously the first week of college football season is always a big deal because that's when you get some good non-conference games. But then if you played one good non-conference game, you usually schedule two or three patsies. Going forward, this is going to develop so many national rivalries. You're going to have, I'm just throwing stuff out here. Like you're going to have Oregon, Michigan could become a thing every year in the playoffs where it's like, wow, well, Oregon beat them in the playoffs last year and they're going to get a shot at them again this year and stuff like that. Michigan's going to get their revenge. And you're just going to get matchups that you don't get because college football likes to keep things so regional. Nine of your 12 games are within your own conference. You get three non-conference games. Maybe one of them is against a halfway decent Power 5 team and the other two are against group of five teams. Now with a 12-team playoff, you might start establishing some national rivalries in college football, and that's going to be so good for the game. I'm going to keep beating this drum until people start understanding Yes, I know you're diluting the regular season a little bit 
but it's still going to be worth it in the end because these games are going to mean so much more. And when Ohio State plays Michigan in the regular season like they will every year, yes, they're probably both going to end up in the playoff as part of the – they're probably still going to be two of the top 12 teams in the nation and get there. So you can't say, oh, well, that game means nothing now. No, it will mean something because I guarantee the winner of Ohio State-Michigan is probably going to be one of the top four seeds and end up drawing a bye. So that's going to be a huge advantage because then if you're Michigan or Ohio State, the loser of that game is going to have to win four games to win the national championship. That's a big deal. So it's going to mean something, just not in terms of getting in or out of the playoff. But it certainly will mean home field advantage and a possible buy. So, yeah, you can't dismiss that. It's going to be great. I cannot wait for 2024. We'll obviously have this season. If USC wins tonight, your Final Four are pretty much set for this season's college football playoff. And then next year we'll have the final, we'll have a four-team playoff. And then after that, we're into a 12-team, and it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Anyway, thank you all for listening. In a couple hours, your best of podcast number 315 will be up. Just some excerpts and some clips uh, that you may have missed from interviews with Taylor Hale, the winner of Big Brother 24, Allie Appleby, Miss Teen, Miss Dallas Teen USA, who has who has epilepsy and who has a service dog, and Jacqueline Trumbull from last week. So look forward to that. It's a good one. Even though you may have already heard some of them, I kind of like the way I put it together. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday. See you!